The ingredients for this episode are Scarpia, Brutality, and Painted Red. I'm Andy Anderson, the mischievous maestro, and we're mixing up the perfect combination. Tosca was Giacomo Puccini's fifth opera, and it opened in Rome on January the 14th, 1900. The opera is based on the play La Tosca by Victor Sardou. Now, if you listen to season one of The Mischievous Maestro, then you already know all about the opera and the events leading up to opening night. If you didn't listen to season one, you may want to give it an ear. Go back, season one, episode two. Trust me. Puccini created in opera form some pretty awesome bad guys, but in my opinion, none so great as Scarpia. Some villains are thwarted by, or at least must own up to, the law. But what happens when the villain is the law? If you're like Scarpia, you abuse your power to thwart revolutionaries, torture innocent citizens for information, and attempt to force women into prostituting themselves for political sanctuary. So, Baron Scarpia, chief of police, here in the high court of the mischievous maestro, the charges brought up against you are as follows. Abuse of power, first degree murder, extortion, and torture. How do you plead? We, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro, find you guilty as charged. So my friends, before we go any further, it's time to have a drink. Now, in the opera, Tosca, in Act 2, when the curtain comes up, we see Scarpia in his house at the Palazzo Farnese, and he's having dinner. And while he's having dinner, he's drinking some wine, red wine, Spanish red wine to be exact. So as I was coming up with this, I thought it would be really fun, instead of a cocktail for this episode, we're going to open a bottle of wine, and we're going to open a bottle of wine from my favorite vineyard in the United States. And that vineyard is Blenheim Vineyards, just outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. Today, we're going to be drinking the Painted Red 2019 Vintage. Now, Blenheim Vineyards does this really cool every year, a red blend and a white blend, and it's called the Painted Series. This is their kind of reserve wine. This is their top tier of their blends. And with the Painted Red 2019, we thought we would play that for this episode. Now, the 2019 Painted Red is a, it's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Verdot, 
Cab Franc, Merlot, Syrah, and a Pinot Noir. And they age this for about 10 months in oak barrels, and then they bottle it. The cool thing is the artwork of the label is designed and drawn by the owner of the vineyard, and he happens to be named Dave Matthews. And if that name sounds familiar, yes, it's Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band. That's not why this is my favorite vineyard, but it certainly helps. Check out Blenheim Vineyards. It's BlenheimVineyards.com. They also have a really great wine club. It's very affordable. You will not find better wine in the United States, especially at this price point. So my friends, we're going to open up the 2019 Painted Red, and we're going to have a glass of wine while we're talking about Scarpia. So here we go. Oh, and the other cool thing about their wines, if you don't have a wine key with you and you don't want to fight with the bloody cork, their wines are really cool because it's a twist top. So, my friends, here we are, and we're going to pour some wine, and uh, then we're going to talk about Scarpia and how he's such a horrible guy. So my friends, now that you've poured yourself a glass of delicious Blenheim 2019 painted red, who was Scarpia? Well, he came from an age of war and cultural upheaval. He was able to come to power and to flourish because there were those who saw a need for him and his very specific skill set. The history of the period is savage and bloody. At that time, the two young republics of Naples and Rome had fallen and the restored monarchy was quelling any signs of anti-royalist sentiment. The Austrian-born Queen Marie Caroline, who was the sister of Marie Antoinette, and her husband, Ferdinand IV of Naples, were still battling Napoleon and felt no mercy toward the French or the French-inspired Republicans. There were a massive amount of executions, tortures, and other unspeakable horrors Most of the brightest cultural and intellectual leaders were lost during this period. Brutal mob violence became commonplace, and the court-appointed judges and executioners showed no restraint. The artist Mario Cavaradossi in Puccini's opera describes Scarpia as a, quote, bigot who uses devoutness to hide his libertine lust and to implement his lascivious talent, acts as both confessor and a hangman. This is a much nicer way to say it as compared to the original Sardu play. In the play, Cavaradossi says, quote, Ah, the wretch, under an exterior of perfect courtesy and fervent devotion, with smiles and signs of the cross, what a vile scoundrel he is, sanctimonious and rotten, an artist of in villainy, refined in his evilness, delighting in cruelty, bloodthirsty in his orgies. What woman, daughter, or sister has not paid with her honor for coming near this impure human? Oh, 
It has been suggested that the playwright Sardou drew his characters from real historical figures, sometimes blending elements from the life of one person with those of another, with only minor changes in the spelling of the character's name as a clue to the persons who inspired his or her creation. One inspiration for Scarpia's persona was a man named Gerardo Kirchi, who was called Sharpa, or the Scarf. It is said he fought on both sides of the warring parties, switching sides when one was unwilling to pay him for his services. Multiple accounts of the period describe Sharpa as a villain who presented himself as extremely devout. The novelist Alexander Dumas described Sharpa as an assassin, a killer, and a thief who supported the royalist cause and who was greedy, vengeful, and bloodthirsty. Other elements that went into the character Scarpia were drawn from a Sicilian with the last name Speciale. Speciale served as a judge in Palermo, as well as the physical attorney of the Supreme Court of War in Sicily, and he was tasked with the job of dispensing what was known as justice at the time. Now, my friends, I put the word justice in quotations. It was said that he took special delight in overseeing the various forms of torture dealt to the prisoners. One of Speciale's contemporaries, the writer Francesco Lamanaco, described the impact of actions taken by men like Speciale. Quote, From one neighborhood another, one could hear the sounds of terror, which had already become an epidemic, and there was no corner of those wards that had not been part of the most horrible tragedy of our hemisphere. While the neighborhoods were reduced to such a sad state, in the center of Naples, the members of the state, men as deprived of name and fame as they were filled with turpitude and ignominity, sentenced 10, 12 people a day to the gallows, not counting those who were butchered by the barbaric agents of the queen. End quote. A historian's description of how justice was typically dealt under Speciale's direction is as follows, quote, 
When the mob outside was burning and cannibalizing the ungelled Republicans, Speciale sat on the velvet seats of the tribunal, condemning the imprisoned ones to death. The trials were a sham. The sentences were decided beforehand. Any and all means were used to reach a guilty verdict. The defense had 24 hours to prepare, but even at that, its testimonies were often not admitted as evidence. There was no cross-examination of witnesses, no scrutiny of written evidence was permitted, and no allowances were made for age. Even 16-year-olds were executed. Speciale was not beyond using trickery to get a confession from prisoners, going so far in one case of telling a childhood friend that he would be released if he only wrote down what he had done. The friend was executed two days later after writing the confession. Puccini seems to have drawn from this story when Scarpia invited Tosca first with the words, quote, and now let us talk like friends, then by saying, quote, would you like us to find a way to save him together? A side note, despite his horrific deeds, Speciale did not die at the hand of a vengeful woman like Scarpia did in the opera. He died in Sicily, scorned, and having lost his mind. At his funeral, there was so much public hatred exhibited that his shamed family stifled their tears and refused to wear mourning clothes. What then inspired Sardou to have Scarpia stabbed? Well, perhaps it was an account, written in French, about the director general of the police in Modena, who was, quote, the persecutor of ideas and opinions. On May the 15th in 1822, he had condemned about 40 individuals, of whom nine were sent to their deaths immediately. Later that night, he was accosted and stabbed to death by a young woman, presumably the lover of one of the nine who had died that day. So my friends, what about Puccini's Scarpia? Well, let's recap what he did that just made him evil. Torturing and executing the people that he called, quote, 
traitors, lying to Tosca by making false claims that her lover, Mario Cavaradossi, and Angelotti's sister, whom Mario Cavaradossi protected from Scarpia, had had an affair so that he can use Tosca to capture Angelotti and Cavaradossi. He also forcing Tosca to hearing Mario Cavaradossi's screams and forcing her to betraying Angelotti, who would eventually commit suicide to avoid being executed, and then lying to Tosca that he promised to her that he will release Cavaradossi from being executed, only to forcing her to becoming his lover. He tried to rape her, but she kills him. And then after Scarpia's death, Tosca thought that Cavaradossi would be released, but she then realizes that the execution is real, causing her to end her life to avoid being captured by the police for Scarpia's death. So there you go, my friends. It turns out that one of opera's greatest villains was actually two people from just a few years before the opera was actually composed. So you see, it isn't always mystery and fairy tales. Sometimes, history comes up from behind you and gets you right when you're least expecting it. In our next episode, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro will be hearing the case against opera's sexy seductress, Carmen. Until then, continue to be safe, my friends, and as always, stay thirsty for knowledge. The Mischievous Maestro podcast was researched and written by me, Andy Anderson. Recording engineer and co-producer is Ryan Hall. Art director and co-producer is Jefferson Reidenauer. Very personal assistant to The Mischievous Maestro and co-producer is Megan King. Production assistant, co-producer, and all-around great guy is Yvonne Kahn. Publicist for Andy Anderson is Jonathan Blaylock. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform to get all of the upcoming episodes with exciting drinks. To learn more about The Mischievous Maestro and for the drink recipes, don't forget to visit our website, themischievousmaestro.com and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Mischievous Maestro is so much more than a podcast, it's a lifestyle. And I would like to remind you to please drink responsibly. If you're not old enough, don't do it. And if you are old enough, do it in moderation. And if you're having a bad day and refuse to drink in moderation, then please follow these simple rules for overindulgence. Don't drink and drive. Please don't drink too much and then email your boss asking for a raise. And please, for all that's holy in the world, don't drink too much and then drunk text your ex at 3 a.m. This podcast is the sole property of the mischievous maestro and may not be used in whole or in any part without the expressed written permission of Andy Anderson.